You're listening to the Prayer Storm Podcast. We pray that this teaching blesses you, challenges you, and equips you, leaving you ignited for all that God has for you. Don't forget to check out James Laderin's book, Life on Fire, which is out now. You can find this and more at prayerstorm.org, or you can click the link in the description below. If you have a Bible, why don't you just open it? I'm going to read a chunk with you first, just to give context to what I'm going to say. Uh, so John 6, John 6, 22. John 6, 22. John 6, 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near to the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boat and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, where did you come? when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not... Work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, the, for on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them this, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our father, fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it was my father who gives the true bread of heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said this to you, that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the one of him who sent me. Praise God. I'm going to stop there. I want you to cycle your eyes back up to verse 24. And verse 24, I want you to see this with your eyes. So when the crowd saw Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boat and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into a boat and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When the crowd saw, when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there and his disciples were not there either, 
it says that they got into the boat and went. Pretty cool, huh? So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they got into the boat and went. You know, the last couple of years, especially throughout lockdown, there has been a lot of church hopping. I'm going to talk about that right now. (laughs) And get a lot of people against me already. All right. In the last couple of years in particular, there's been a lot of church hopping. And in many churches, there is strategies, there is entertainment, there is an outworking of formulas that can draw the crowd, but doesn't, it can't keep the crowd. Okay? Well, let me put it like this. It can't keep the crowd content. That crowd that came was never meant to remain a crowd or an audience, but become disciples. They were never meant to remain as a crowd. They were never meant to remain as an audience that watched the stars on stage do their stuff. You know, God is not building a cinema. He's building a church. Is anyone in? (laughs) He is not. And I like cinema, but he is not in the process. The only thing that we see in the scriptures that Jesus is building is the church. It's not the cinema, okay? We We don't come to church to look, like I said, to look at the stars on the stage and then rate them as we go home. We don't worship only when our worship le- favorite worship leader is fi- singing our favorite, favorite worship song and we can't climatize to anything else. There is so much church hopping because when the crowd comes, the majority comes, after a period of being in that place, they see a formula but they don't see Jesus and they don't see his disciples anywhere and they think, okay, I need to move on again. Do you know what's gone on wrong? I think it's gone wrong with some of church sometimes. I'm part of church. I'm part of leadership. I'm in, the, I'm in the fight as well. This is not me looking in. I'm part of the fight, right? One of the things that I think has gone wrong is we are trying to learn God like a curriculum. We are trying to learn God like you learn math, you learn science, you learn French. You learn subjects. Okay, I want to learn Jesus now. Okay, got that. I know that. I know that sermon. I know that. I know that, I know that, okay. It's not about learning just Jesus. It's about encountering Jesus that changes us. Programs and curriculums don't cut it and they bore the life out of everyone after a few weeks. You just get stale if all you're doing is learning. Yes, learn the scriptures. I'm not saying don't that, but if that's where it ends... Your Christianity is only going to be about eight to ten years long because you're going to get bored. Something else is going to feel more appealing. You know, years ago, I went down to this amazing Christian conference um, and they had some wonderful teachers of the Word of God and it was incredible. And then it came to the special time in the sessions where it was like the breakaway sessions. So you could pick which talk you wanted to listen to next. And I remember saying to my wife, Beth, I said, I want to go to this guy because when he ministers, the Holy Spirit ministers. Okay? I've, I'm, I've, I've, I've learned a lot today and I'm happy, but I want a bit more. And now I want to encounter Jesus in the sermon. 
Not just hear another sermon, but encounter Jesus in the sermon. Does that make sense? Okay. So Beth says to me, well, why don't you go to this other guy? Because he's a great apologetics and he'll be helpful for you in your evangelism. And I'm like, no, no, I want to go to this guy. So we go to that guy. There's about 300 people in the room. And literally, no joke, 10 to 15 minutes into the sermon, Beth, my wife, that's my wife there, uh, she falls off her chair and she starts rolling around laughing at the front. Just 10 minutes, in, no, no nothing, no ministry time, no nothing. She just falls off the front and starts rolling around like I've never seen her ever do that in my whole life, right? <laughs> There's about 200 pe- 300 people in the room and about 295 people get completely drunk on the Holy Spirit. Wow. It's, not even, it's not even ministry time yet. The guy's just doing his sermon. Guy's just doing his sermon and everyone is laughing. He's probably feeling... <laughs> bad because everyone's laughing at his sermon but they are just getting drunk on the Holy Spirit and they're encountering Jesus and it was the most wonderful freeing thing ever and then straight afterwards we go out onto the beach and we start talking to a family about Jesus and the power of God starts to come on this dad's knee and it's like that is what we were made for not just to listen to the sermon but to encounter the God of the sermon and then to take the sermon to the world who needs some fresh bread because they are used to stale bread you know, Leonard Ravenhill, when he would minister many times, he would be ministering and people would just literally, without even him saying, come Holy Spirit, without him even doing any music, or any, the, the Holy Spirit would just start to move. And the spirit of prayer would come on people and they would be laying on their face for four hours after the meeting because the spirit of prayer had touched their lives. You know, there's so much whinging at church, isn't there? about the chairs, about the coffee, about everything. That stuff goes away when the presence of God really comes. That's what we need. We need the presence of God again, and we need the activities of the Holy Spirit, because then people are talking about God and not the chairs. Oh, man, I hate those chairs. Rubbish. All right, sorry. God is not building a cinema. He is building a church. Many people are so bored in this season of going to church because we don't even get to see the man of God anymore. He's been replaced by the man of motivation. So he's been brought in. The man of God's been pushed out because he's not very likable anymore. And he doesn't agree with everything BBC News tells. So he's out. Man of motivation is in. We like him. He's a bit, he's a bit nicer. But then the church, after like six months, gets so bored of the man of motivation because he's forever in two sermons. Number one, God loves you, and it's always about that. God loves you, and obviously that is important, 100%. And the other one is Joshua 1.9, be strong and courageous. And he lives, you just live in this world of Joshua 1.9 being used out of context. And God loves you, and, and all the people were like, Listen, if you've been a Christian 15 years, just get over it. God loves you. Whether you like it or not, he loves you. You don't need to be motivated any longer. Just accept it that God loves you and not move on, but move on with the truth, okay? Joshua 1.9, about being strong and courageous, was all about Joshua getting the courageousness to fulfill God's task, right? That's what it's about. When it's preached in so many churches, it's like people are relating that to dating. I need to be strong and courageous to get that man I've always dreamed of. And it's so filtered through the culture, it's quite laughable. And I do laugh to myself. 
Now I'm going to talk about eight-step programs, because I hate those as well, okay? <laughs> Come to this church, because we do an eight-step pro, uh, eight program to get you rid of anxiety and alcohol and everything else, which is nasty. Come on this eight-stage course. I hate these courses sometimes. There can be good courses, and there's a lot of bad courses in my mind, okay? This is my opinion. This is my, <laughs> this is my own conviction. How about, let me, just, let me just say something random, okay? How about instead of you, like just say, for example, you struggle with some sort of uh, sexual sin or like alcohol, or how about instead of going on that 10-week course, you locked yourself in a prayer closet for 10 hours with Jesus... Oh, yeah. And you didn't go out until you were free. I've learned this about us as Christians. We will try anything but him. We will go to anything and anyone so we don't have to take the responsibility of pursuing him. Smith Wigglesworth had a problem with anger. What did he do? He went to God until that was broken off his life and he had no more of those emotions left in his life. Another person I know, he had, uh, he had a few sexual sins that he was dealing with. He went to Jesus and he spent like four or five hours and then that was completely broken off his life. I know another guy that was dealing, messing around with all sorts of witchcraft and all this rubbish just before he got saved. He went to the altar and he spent ages at the altar just pressing into Jesus and then physical dirt came out of his eyes as God cleansed him of the impurity. This is what I want. I want Jesus in church again. <laughs> I, gen I generally want Jesus in church again. And he wants to be there as well, I believe. <laughs> He's excited to be there, I fully believe. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boat and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus now, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are not seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. I love that. Which the Son of Man will give to you. <laughs> So they find Jesus, and Jesus straight away corrects their motivation of why they're looking for him. They're looking for him because they want the loaves to fill their stomach, and Jesus is not going to knock them down, but again, he's going to upgrade their motivation from an earthly one to a heavenly one. Okay? So truly, truly, I say to you, you're not seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Your earthly longings, your earthly longings that you have in your flesh, that's not going to be satisfied by, by the flesh. That's not going to be satisfied by natural bread. I have something more enriching and more satisfying than you could everly possibly dream. And I'm going to upgrade now your earthly desires to heavenly desires. Jesus says this, do not, listen to this, do not work do not work. Do not put in the effort. Do not put in the labor. Do not put in the intensity of thought. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. Do not give yourself 
to food that perishes, that does not satisfy. Many of you have heard me say this about before. On the first lockdown, when I was waiting on God a lot, he kept giving me a picture of a sloth. And I thought, are you rebuking me, God, and calling me lazy? Every time I kept seeing this picture of a sloth. And, but I felt God was saying, I'm not rebuking you, look into it. I looked into sloths, read a little book with their little funny hand things, and um, I looked up about them, and they are incredibly simple characters, sloths are. They only bother themselves to go to the toilet, to sleep, what was the other one? And eat, yeah. They're literally the most basic things of all time. They don't bother themselves with anything. And this is what the Holy Spirit said very clearly to me. They don't bother themselves with anything which isn't essential. They don't bother themselves with anything that isn't essential. What in your life as a Christian if you relegated all the non-essentials and you gave yourself to what God was saying to do and you just relegated all that stuff that is not bringing you peace anyway? You know what will probably happen? You will probably feel less rust and you will become more fruitful. One of the things that makes me laugh a lot is traffic jams. When people, you're in your car and people act so much unlike they would ever do if they weren't in that vehicle. And they start shouting at you. They don't shout at me because I'm a good driver, but I just imagine if they did, okay? So they start shouting at people. They're getting angry because they're sitting down. They're waiting to get home. Why? So they can sit down again. They are stressed because you are keeping them from doing what they're already doing right now, which is sitting down, and now they want to get home and sit down. This is so stupid. <laughs> it's true, isn't it? Think about it. Just shout through your window at them. You can sit down now, okay? <laughs> Chill out, okay? But there's a rush, isn't there? There's a rush in us when we're not getting our earthly pleasures. I need to get home. I need to get... Uh, you know, some popcorn. I need to watch Netflix. I need to, you're keeping me from sitting down again. What is causing the hurry and the rush in your life? Do you need it? Relegate it. God has been talking to me. Uh, actually, I'm going to read this bit first. 27, do not work for the food that perishes. Again, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. God has been saying to me clearly in the last week, Matt, I am a giving God, okay? I am a giving God. For so God so loved the world that he gave, right? Every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. They said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one that he has sent. <laughs> I love this because it is, sounds so elemental, doesn't it? What is the work of God? To believe in the one that he has sent. If you ask many believers in the church, do they believe in Jesus? Well, what will they say? They'll say, well, yes, I do believe in Jesus. And you'll say, thank you, Maureen. Brilliant, okay? But I tell you this, your countenance, your face, gives off about what really gives joy to you. Did you know that? <laughs> your, your eyes light up when you talk about something you love. 
I learned this with kids, uh, with kids a while back. I couldn't make any conversation with this child. And then I mentioned the word Warhammer, and then he just spoke my ear off for the next hour. Because I mentioned something he loved. When, you, when someone, you know you're a true believer when someone mentions about Jesus to you and your whole countenance comes alive because they're speaking about the one that you love. Many believers, they come alive when you speak about the sport. When you speak about the sport, oh my days, they become extravagant. But then the prayer meeting happens and the worship time happens and they look so awkward. It's quite funny though, isn't it? I've noticed that over the years. So I have to speak about sport to reinvig them. Yes. You know, your life lived shows what you believe. Not your life spoken. Your life lived reveals who is Lord, reveals who your God is, reveals where you find joy in. Your life lived. And Jesus said that we would do even greater works than him, right? That when we believe in him, very, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. Wow, that's amazing. And they will do even greater works than these. You know, greater works isn't you just three years ago sharing with Janet at your workplace about you going to church. That isn't the greater works, I don't think, that Jesus is talking about. I think there is a lot more than just the occasional mentioning and dropping, I go to church. I think there is more to it than that. And God is saying, Ashley, if you flood yourself with light, move our part-time Christianity, then the light can fully be shown and people will give glory to God, even in your workplace. The results of being a part-time Christian is spiritual boredom. Also, (laughs) this is something you'll never, ever hear, probably again, (laughs) anywhere, ever, okay? You also have zebra vibes. Told you, never heard that before. I think in the spirit, when you're a part-time Christian, you give off zebra vibes. Can you just stand up a minute with your black and white? Sorry. This is so helpful. This isn't a... Okay. You can sit back down now. You've been great. This isn't against you, okay? That's just helpful for me, okay? Zebras are made out of black, white, black, white, black, white. When you're a part-time Christian, you are made out of light, dark, light, dark, light and it's flooded through your being, so you're confusing to the spirit realm. Are you a zebra in the spiritual world? Or are you cleansed? You are cleansed by the word of truth. Don't get me wrong, but is your lifestyle, is your life lived revealing the truth that you're saying you've encountered? If we are going to be doing the works that God wants us to do, we need the food, the fuel that Jesus had to do his ministry. We need to copy Jesus' diet plan. Never see that on YouTube. We copy everyone else's diet plan. But why don't we, cu- why don't we look at Jesus' diet plan? What is the food that he's ingesting where this power is then being released through him? If you have a Bible, just turn to John 4.31. This is the main last scripture that I want to just wrestle with. John 4.31. It'll probably be up on the screen. Okay. The disciples urged Jesus, 
the disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. He told them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. So the disciples asked one another, could someone have bought him food? (laughs) I love that. Jesus explained, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months until harvest? I tell you, lift up your eyes and look to the fields, for they are ripe for harvest. So the disciples saw that Jesus was worn out from ministry and given out to lots of people, and they probably discussed with one another, what are we going to say to Jesus to help this situation? And so they come up to Jesus and they say, well, this is the answer. You're giving out a lot. You need to go and eat something, Rabbi. Go and eat some bread. They see that Jesus needs recovery, and so they point him to a natural source. They point him to a natural source. At this point, the disciples do not understand the dynamics of Jesus' prayer life. They don't understand how interesting Jesus' prayer life is. Sometimes when Jesus let people in, this is why I always say, let Jesus lead your prayer meeting, because it's the best when he leads it. When Jesus leads the disciples up to his prayer time, Moses and Elijah appear. That's a pretty cool prayer meeting. Another time when he goes to pray, the next time the disciples see him, he's walking around the waves. He's walking around the sea. The last place they saw him was in prayer. And now he's walking. Just imagine your friend walking around the lake after he said he's gone. What was happening in the dynamics of his prayer stuff? It was something that was just unheard of at that point. So the disciples see that Jesus is knackered, not not tired, just probably tired from all the work that he's given out and all the awesomeness that he's just doing. And they say, you need to eat something physical. Ever heard this before? You've given out a lot. Go 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 to the cinema. Go binge on that latest series. Go eat some cake. Okay? Go eat something physical, and that will help recover you rather than going to the true bread of heaven and eating that to being your source of recovery. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Jesus has to become your food source. He has to become your food source. Roland Baker, who is Heidi Baker's husband, he says every Christian has to figure out this one thing. Every Christian needs to figure out if they will spend more time serving Jesus or being with Jesus. And every Christian has to settle that in their heart. Will they be prepared to serve him more than they spend time with him? Where is your fuel source? The disciples urged Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But he told them, you, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And then they say to him, could someone have brought him food? So surely he's got a stash of Mars bars somewhere (laughs) or something of some sort that he's not sharing with the rest of us, but he's eating that on the side. So their mind is still in the natural. Surely this guy can't be. But you know what? Jesus' food was not consuming earthly food. 
It was producing a will. That was the food. Being involved in the Father's will was Jesus' food. The food was to do the will of the Father. The fuel was to finish the work that God had given him. The work that Jesus had been personally assigned from... Are you doing the call of God in your life? Are you doing the work assigned to you? Yes, we all have a corporate calling. Fast, pray, read your Bible, be a part of a local church. We all have a corporate... But are you also doing your tailor-made instructions from heaven? What is that for you? It's different to all of us. Don't neglect that because you'll lose your life if you don't do that stuff. That is going to free you. That's going to bring life to you. What is your tailor-made instructions as well as your corporate instructions? You're going to have to go to God for that. Natural food fuels the body for natural movement, doesn't it? That's why we eat, to fuel the body for movement. Supernatural food fuels the spirit for supernatural movement. Jesus explained, my food is to do the the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do they not say there are still four months until the harvest? I tell you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are ripe for harvest. So everyone around him is saying the time's not right, but the food that Jesus is digesting, which is the will of the Father. I'll say that with me. The food is the will of the Father. Food is the will of the Father. So the food that Jesus is ingesting, which is to do the will of the Father, is saying something different. It's saying that the fields are ripe for harvest. Even though the people around him are saying it's not ripe, the Father's will is saying it is ripe. It is ripe. And two things I noticed in that section that just drew my heart was, number one, Lift up your eyes. And number two, look at the field. I tell you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are ripe for harvest. Lift up your eyes above earthly things. Lift up your eyes to where Christ is seated. Gaze upon Christ. Gaze upon the assignment that God has given you. Lift up your eyes to God. And now look at the fields. Look around when you go to Tesco's. Look around when you go to Sainsbury's. Look around at the field around you. Look up, look to God, but also look at the fields. Listen, you might have 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, 45 years left. My friend died at 25 in his sleep suddenly. So don't assume that you have another three or four years, okay? My friend died in his bed in sleep when he was 25. Look around at the people around you. They're not going to be there forever. Look at the fields. Look at the people in the fields. Look at the perishing... I feel the Father's heart on this. Look at the perishing world around you. Don't get sidetracked by just your job, your family, your social gatherings, your church meetings. Look around at the field. They are ripe for harvest. They are ripe. They are ripe, Jesus is saying. Eat the bread that comes from above. Lift up your eyes to the Father's will and look at the fields. Look at the people. They are not going to be around forever. 
We need the food to truly go, I believe. You know, God said this, uh, put this on my heart. I was in the gym, and God said this to me. He said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. I said, God, I know that. He said, you're not listening. He said, for God so loved the world. He said, I didn't say, for God sent his son into the world. He said, for God so loved the world that he sent his son into the world. You don't go because you don't love the world. That was what is impressing on my heart. Yes, you can blame it on da-da-da-da, but you don't go a lot because you don't love a lot. You don't love the world. If your child, Matt, this is what I felt God was saying, if your child was in need, do you think you would go? If someone else's child was in need, do you think you'd go? Yes, you would. You don't go because you don't love. Like James said earlier, he said it takes God to love God, didn't he? I want to say it takes God to love the lost. One of the, one of the um, dreams that God gave, I'm still recovering from this dream. This dream happened about three weeks ago. Um, I love the fact that James said he wasn't a crier. I'm not a crier, but I was crying intensely in this dream. I was sat next to a friend, and we were in a church meeting in the dream, and this friend said to me, I want to encounter more of God. That's all, that's all she said to me. And then all of a sudden, the spirit of prayer came on both of us, and we both started to cry intensely. And I'll be honest, I haven't cried like that since I was a little kid. It was the most heartfelt cry. And the reason I was crying was because God filled my heart for how he saw her. And for the first time, I didn't just know the truth, but I felt the truth. There's a difference when you feel the truth. He filled my heart with how he felt about her. And it broke me. It literally broke my frame trying to... And, I, and it's, to be honest, it's changed how I've seen everyone since. Like, the degree in which he sees people, the emotion that he feels in his heart, the, the true feeling. He doesn't just see you and he knows what you do and he knows what you're good at at church. He sees you. He actually sees you and he has emotion, a deep emotion for you. When I woke up, I remember thinking, wow, I can't believe God feels that way. about." And then I couldn't, and I was like struggling not to cry anymore. That is not like me. I don't cry. It's just how I'm wired. I don't cry. My, my wife cries a lot. She cries at even adverts, which is crazy. But for me, I don't cry much. And it just changed. The, so even when I went out the other day to evangelize, a guy was, I was just offering to pray for someone on crutches, right? And he just lets me have it. Let's me have his whole life story, hammers, just starts trying to hammer me in the middle of the street. Which is weird was, I was thinking, oh man, God really loves this person. It was like I wasn't even aware of me. I wasn't even aware of being personally offended or embarrassed. I was just thinking about him. And then we ended up having a coffee for like an hour and a half. I don't know how that happened. And now he wants to come to church. But it was the feeling that I had. It was the feeling that allowed me to push through. Am I making sense? When we feel the love of God, then it's easy to go. It's a much easier thing to go because you're seeing them 
like you're through the Father's eyes, and they're, they're completely different. People are completely different when you see them through his emotion. I don't know about you, but it takes God to love God, but it also takes God to love the lost. I'm, in my natural self, I'm an introvert, and I don't want to go out and talk to people. But I need to learn how to submit my personality to my purpose. Okay? I need to learn how to submit that to my purpose. We hope you enjoyed this Prayer Storm podcast. For more content, find us on Instagram at prayerstorm, all one word, and on YouTube, prayerstorm.tv.